Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this New Moon Meditation meeting from the Lucis Trust in New York. It's good to see you all. I see your names up here. It's very lovely to welcome you, and thank you for participating in this regular monthly work of the New Moon and the Full Moon meetings. Um, the, tonight, we're going to have a short presentation on the theme, Death Unto Greater Life. And that will be followed by the group meditation and the discussion. We have some questions. Um, the talk has been written by Michael Galloway. And I thank you, Michael. The Michael's unfortunately not well this evening. And so um, he's asked me if I would read his talk for him, which I'm very happy to do. So at the new moon, we work in the lower interlude. And we focus on the plan manifesting in the world of human relationships and human affairs. This plan already exists as a divine idea. It's a reality in the mind of, in the mind of God, embodying the highest spiritual potential for humanity and really the entire planetary life. The plan's never imposed upon humanity and requires human agents to modify it break it down into sequential steps and to present it to the intelligent and thinking men and women of the world for their acceptance. It is, we can think of the plan as the, um, a bit like the destiny of future possibilities that people in the New World Service become sensitive to and then begin to devote their energies to the working out and the manifesting of that sensed future possible destiny. And the mediating group, the, those who are sensitive to these impressions of future possibilities, um, is known as the New Group of World Service. All the men and women who work selflessly and with intelligence to give living expression to the highest spiritual ideals they can possibly contact and who have a sense of what's possible in the existing culture um, and civilization of the times. The theme of the meditation that we'll be doing, most of you know and are familiar with this theme. One of the beauties of it is that it's the constant repetition and rhythm um, acquaints us with this energy flow of the meditation. It's a, a meditation called Strengthening the Hands of the New Group of World Servers. During this time, we're reminded that humanity through its own creative agency, through our own creative agency as human beings, humanity is responsible for giving the spiritual ideas of the future living form and expression. So let's, with that in mind, just pause for a moment together and sound together the mantra of the new group of world servers, the five o'clock mantra. Somewhere in the world at this time, it's just a little after 5 p.m. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May I fulfill my part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, 
and right speech. Thank you. So the theme this evening is not what you see on the screen. The theme is death unto greater life. It's what you see on the screen now. Thank you, Daniel. Today, there are an increasing number of groups engaged in all types of meditation work, seeking to bring about a more equitable and peaceful world. This work is good and useful for, as we're told, meditation is the outstanding creative agent upon our planet. But subjective work alone is not enough. The Tibetan writes that the meditation process must be accompanied by creative work, or else it's purely mystical, and they're not futile, nevertheless, negative and creative results, often passive. As we consider tonight the theme of life and death, we're also considering the many ways that right thinking on this topic could affect the various institutions of human living. The fields of science, religion, and even education could be profoundly enhanced if death was recognized as a process of liberation and a return unto the greater life of the soul. And we can also say that as science, religion, and education are transforming quietly, slowly, gently their understanding of death. Um, so is a core part of the culture of our times changing. Death is a process that is unavoidable. Yet especially in the West, people generally avoid talking or even thinking about death until it confronts them directly. Even their own death or someone they love. The problem with not thinking or talking about death is that it catches us unaware and we're not able to confront this very human process with intelligent understanding of its relationship to life. And not approaching it with understanding exacerbates the fear complex, which is particularly related to the survival of the physical body. That's really something, the fear, so much of the fear that we have about death relates to the survival of the physical body. Almost all religions have a belief in some sort of life after death. And many ascribe, at least in some form, to the doctrine of reincarnation. Even the Christian Bible, one can find passages alluding to reincarnation, such as in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus states that the prophecy of the coming of Elijah had been fulfilled in the form of St. John the Baptist, emphasizing that John was, in fact, Elijah himself. In the Age of Wisdom, the doctrine of reincarnation states that the soul in order to reach perfection is born into a human body, lives and dies countless times. It also states that the soul 
not just to reach perfection, but to redeem and transform the world of matter and substance. The soul returns time after time as an act of service. Eventually, as the soul achieves a degree of mastery over form, and becomes detached from, its down, from the downward pull of form, the soul also gains a mastery over death. It can then consciously move between the physical and the subtle realms as it so chooses, creating a vehicle or body of an expression by an act of will as needed. In esoteric philosophy, death is another way of speaking about the experience of the soul in form. It's a completely different understanding of death. It reverses the usual way of thinking about death the physical plane perspective. The esoteric perspective is logical if we keep in mind that the three worlds of human living are temporal and all things therein naturally tend towards dissolution, decay and death. The world of the soul brings life to those lower forms and on its own plane possesses a relative immortality. Until a much later stage upon the path, the sheaths or outer forms of the incarnated soul limit the soul's expression. And they're even referred to sometimes as the prison house of form. At the point of the soul's departure from the physical plane, what we call death, these outer sheaths are discarded and the soul can return once again to its pristine state and prepare itself for the next cycle of worldly experience. Similarly, we read in the esoteric philosophy about salvation from the body nature through the process of death. These regular departures from the physical plane are necessary if the soul is to achieve its intended goal of redemption and transformation of the physical. Death is, from one perspective, simply about the movement of consciousness from one plane to another. When the physical body dies, the consciousness shifts inwards, integrates eventually once again with the soul on its own plane. Similar shifts of consciousness also happen when the body is asleep at night, though the interlude between sleeping and waking is, of course, much shorter. The book Esoteric Healing outlines the processes which occur when the physical incarnation of the soul is terminated. And I urge anyone who's interested to read it for yourself in the list of um, references, um, which you'll have in your email, um, you'll see the page numbers from Esoteric Healing. In the human family today, the major problem of death is not that it occurs, but that it's misunderstood and is therefore surrounded by fear and ignorance. Death itself is part of the great illusion and only exists because of the veils which the soul gathers around itself to incarnate in the three worlds of human living. Though in one sense an illusion, it's through this process that the soul itself evolves and in turn evolves the lesser lives which constitute these sheaths. Through this process of appropriating matter, the great process of redemption for which our planetary life exists moves forward, and all lives move onwards and upwards, all made possible 
by the great chain of hierarchy. Physical plane death is simply the separation of the soul from its sheaths and the returning of both to their place of origin. But this is only one stage of a much greater process of redemption, salvage and evolution, a constant and ceaseless occurrence on our planet. Worldwide recognition of this fact would be a major blow to world illusion and also would lessen fear. If death can be understood as something to be accepted and even celebrated as a life well lived rather than feared, it would demonstrate an affirmation of the existence of the soul and its immortality in the individuals concerned, but also in the culture as a whole. The fear of and misunderstandings surrounding death constitute a major problem for humanity, one which humanity itself can and will solve in time. And the problem of death also affects many of human beings' other problems. The fields of science, religion, and education even could be transformed if the immortality of the human soul is accepted at least as a working hypothesis. And if the theme of death was handled as a natural interlude in the life of the soul, rather than a final and uncontrollable end. Many established fields of science refuse to accept even as hypothesis, the existence of a causal or primordial force in nature, which gives form and shape to the material world. They limit theirs, their field of investigation to the gross material world and seek to explain life and movement in terms of its material causes. Despite the availability of ample evidence of communications with those who are discounted and well-documented evidence of near-death experiences and after-death experiences and physically seeing deceased relatives, most in the scientific community have not accepted the existence of an immortal human soul because it's not been empirically proven. And if this empirical proof was demonstrated, it would revolutionize scientific thinking across a variety of fields. And as I'll mention at the end, there is evidence that increasingly there are fields of science and within many different scientific disciplines who are starting to look at consciousness and are starting to look at consciousness having some degree of continuity. Accepting the existence of the human soul will lead in time to an acceptance of the existence of greater intelligences than the human and hopefully closer cooperation with those beings. And in time, this will have particular implications for the many religions of the world. Accepting past lives will alter the field of human psychology, especially when the psychological impress of past lives on the present can be acquired with some scientific accuracy. The field of physics will be revolutionized as scientific evidence of the causal effect of consciousness on form is understood more widely than it is currently in the, just the small group of physicists who are investigating this. 
Through education, children will be taught the truth about death and so approach it from a young age with respect and understanding. There will then be less fear and the grieving process when it occurs will be marked by less trauma. And most profoundly, a belief in the continuity of life will affect the way we think of human relationships. The temporality of those relationships from the personality's perspective and the permanence of those relationships when perceived from the level of the soul and of the plan. We might add to all this a recognition that the community of scientists that do accept the evidence of near-death experiences, NDEs, is growing increasingly. So much so that when the late Jim Ryder spoke of the science of the soul um, in a talk, The Garment of God, at an Arcane School conference in 2018 in New York, he cited evidence of a variety of scientific investigations accepting the reality of the soul. And if you look at the video um, of that talk, it was a very fine um, um, series of slides, which include a reading list in several different um, scientific disciplines of scientists providing evidence for the nature of consciousness and the um, causal nature role of consciousness and for the existence of the soul. So let's work now in meditation using the meditation, strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. We begin with group fusion. And let us imaginatively say together, I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul, pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. And so we stand as a group within the heart center of the group of world servants. And mentally extend a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart and to the Christ, the heart of love within the hierarchy. And 
project that line of light towards Shambhala, where the will of God is known. Now in the higher interlude, hold the mind focused on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression and meditating the plan into existence. Meditation. Reflect on the seed thought through the impression and expression of certain great ideas. Humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. And this is the major task of the group of world servers.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good as essential love throughout the planet, flowing from Shambhala through the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, through the group of world servers, flowing out through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world. And finally, through the hearts and minds of the entire human family. the lower interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servers and so building the thought form of solution to world problems.
distribution. As we sound the great invocation, visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light and love and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. So, thank you, friends. Thank you for that piece of work. And now we have a chance for um, to hear your thoughts. Um, you can either um, raise your hand um, or you can share in the chat box. In order to raise your hand, if you Click the, in order to raise your hand, how do we do this? In the participants box. Um, someone, is, is there someone there who can 
Daniel or is there someone there who can help people how to raise their hands? Please. Ah, I see. It's easy. You ask to ask to um, okay. Ask to un unmute. Uh, okay. Okay. So we have three questions, four questions. What value does the grieving process, a deeply sacred act, have for one who seeks to remain detached and master of all environing conditions? That's a really great question because nearly all of us will at some time or other have faced this challenge of the grieving process. Um, the opportunities and the challenges. And grieving as a deeply sacred act. And grieving, what does grieving mean for one who understands that death is a transition into a greater life? and not the physical end. Sam, um, can I, can... Hello. Hi, Sam. Hello, it's lovely to talk to you and thank you so much for a wonderful meditation. Um, in wonderful questions. Um, it's something I've been working on a lot for the last three years um, with um, that we are made of energy. And as, as the ancient wisdoms tell us, you know, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed. Um, and if we take that on board, we recognize that that transformation, if we're already part of us is soul, it has that atom that is connected with every living being on earth. So it doesn't matter whether we're in the physical world or in the spiritual world. And, and that helps dispel all the ideas of death. And even when uh, one of our friends, our beings pass on to that side, we actually realize we're even closer to them as a soul on that side. Exactly, that's exactly right, um, Sam. What do you think about grief? How do you, because grief is a natural human process um, and it's easy to, I've met people who felt almost guilty that they're, that they're grieving mm. um, because thinking they should be detached. So it's interesting as to how we understand grief and the role that grief plays actually in building love, empathy, and understanding for the human, for, for human beings, and the fact that we're an incarnation, and the fact that we are human. I'm really going to have to think about that one, because I've worked so hard on almost dispelling the idea of death. I understand. Um, I mean, obviously, that there is that sense of 
I'm so used to that person or animal or whatever being with me that that their transformation is difficult. But at the same time, I feel, I now feel so much that I can only be happy for their transformation. If that makes sense. It certainly does. It's not, it's not about me. Um, even though I miss that being about, it's I have to be happy for them. So I will I will seriously have a consideration on that one because that wasn't one I was expecting tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, thanks, Sam. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very indeed. much. Okay, thank you. Sarah, um, can we unmute you? Yes. There we go. Yes. Hi. Hear me now? Hi. Beautifully. So wonderful to be together. <laughs> so I'd just like to to bounce off of Sam a little bit there with the first question related to grief. I think it's just such a wonderful thing to contemplate because it is a deeply sacred act and it's important that we allow ourselves time to cry, time to grieve, even if we know that it's a transformation, that the physical body is real, grieving that person's life by crying or feeling sometimes even rage and sadness and pain, to move through that allows us to acknowledge what they contributed while in that vessel and then also to assist them in releasing because it is difficult to leave the physical body. We are not, you know, we don't treat death the way that the Egyptians treated it. We don't have this kind of system in place where we revere it and honor it and look forward to it in the way like the Egyptians did, right? So when I see this question and I think about that, my instinct tells me that Grieving is an opportunity to assist that soul to release, to assist them in cleaning and clearing. And then when we can pass through that, then we can sort of like standing at the shore when we say goodbye to a cruise ship and everyone (laughs) wave their scarves in the air and there's this celebration. So the grieving act is all of those things. It's to assist them and to tell them that they mattered to us as they were. Mm -hmm. And then it can allow us to move forward to joy. I think that in the spiritual practice, we sometimes move too much towards only joy and that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel feelings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, emotion is energy in motion. So keep that energy moving and clear it, and then it helps to lift the fog from the earth. Thank you. That's 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 true. And part of um, because grief relates us to our own humanness and to the humanness of others. And the essence of the path is is to learn to love and to understand. So often, it's difficult for people on the spiritual path to actually understand and love their fellow human beings. Um, and, and yet it's really essential that we truly understand um, the human incarnation. 
So, and, and in a way, um, everything, so much of the spiritual path to me anyway is, is about detachment and observation. So it's not being totally identified within the grief, but observing it and understanding it and knowing through that we're relating ourselves to all our other, to all the other human beings in our, in our environment, in our town, and realizing that all of us um, are in this human incarnation. Uh, who else do we have? Let's see what we, what we have in the chat box. Mark says that a housemate told me multiple times in about the year 2000, you're frozen, you have to, you have to grieve. I don't know if I've grieved or not. What would be the indications if I have? How does one grieve? Any books to look at? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a really good question, Mark. And in a way, um, this is the key thing, that there is no one way of grieving. So often we think there's a right or a wrong and, 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 and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Um, in a sense, grief is to do with sorrow at a loss, and each one of us has to find our, finds our own way of grieving. There's, I, I, I suspect that there are a lot of books on grief. And um, if you were to do a search and find something that resonates, um, particularly during this coronavirus period, grief, there's a lot of discussion about grief. Um, and it's a bit similar to the role that pain can play in burning out um, attachments. Clint, according to Clint Galvin, hi Clint. According to the book, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, life and death are seen as one whole with death as the beginning of another chapter of life. They seem to place the emphasis on what our mindset is at the time of death, and that mindset can greatly influence our next incarnation. They consider these bardos as moments where the possibility of enlightenment of liberation is especially heightened. In the book, Death, the Great Adventure, which is a compilation from the Alice Bailey's writings, um, this seems to be simplified to the point where death is basically a continuation of our present life situation. The similarities between them are, in my opinion, to live life so that we die with no regrets, do no harm to others, live a spiritual life, and not to fear death. Right. Thank you, Clinton. That's, thank you for that. The... Um, the idea in um, one of the ideas in Death, a Great Adventure is as also as Michael was speaking of in the talk is this returning to the soul um, that the process of, of abstraction of consciousness from the physical form, from the human form back to the soul um, and that the reason the soul came into incarnation in the first place is this basic impulse to serve and the essence of the plan, really, to transform, lift, 
and drive the evolution of of matter of these um, human incarnation of considering matter to be all the levels of etheric, astral, mental, and physical. Jessica, grieving can also be a harmful process in the afterlife, depending upon the culture and nationality. That's interesting. We forget that how the role that culture plays in all of these elements of human psychology. Um, and so while some cultures um, grieve in ritual type ways, others will consciously suppress grief. Um, as, as you say, to, um, to limit the impact on the, on the afterlife and on the transition from incarnation. Gary Marx writes, I think that grief can open up the soul to new energies and ideas if there is no emotional identification with the grieving process. That's wonderful, Gary. I, th I think that's absolutely the case. It can burn away. Grief can be something that um, burns away um, that which is um, hindering the understanding of the soul. The grieving process with its openness and its rawness, you might say, can inspire one to strive toward their higher self in a group and subjective realities of the hierarchy. Exactly. And it also, grief pushes the grieving one to really ponder what is death. Which, which is another way of really pondering, who am I? And for the often for the soul's life, that's the most important time in a person's life is when they've experienced death, they're suffering grief, and that suffering is causing them to ponder almost for the first time, what's the meaning of life? Who am I? What is death? And from the soul's vantage point, that's a wonderful um, development. Nina writes, to me, we die with every loss. Exactly. It's an opportunity to transform through grief on a physical level. My experience is that grief invokes a very high energy. Interesting. Catherine writes, there's a lovely presentation, Death as Liberation available in the blog on the triangles page. Yes, that's right. That's, um, so if you go to the triangles page, you, you in the menu, you click on either blog or triangles webinar, um, and that will take you to the text um, of a very fine talk on death as liberation. Thanks for that, Catherine, that's wonderful. And Sarah writes as well that grieving is a way to clean and clear the old energy, to cleanse, to heal, to release, and then to move towards celebration. Santana writes, two. Um, oh, and the question two, the Aegis Wisdom states that death is an illusion. 
yet also that it's a natural process and a means of liberation. How can we rectify this apparent paradox? It's both natural and it's a way of liberation. And Santana um, draws our attention to page 308 on the Alice Bailey book, um, Treaties on White Magic, where there's a passage from the Bhagavad Gita. So that's worth looking at. Jessica, there's no death. Everything that dies regenerates. How true. Thanks, Evert. I'm As you can see, I'm working backwards. Um, yeah, but that's Evert's given some good advice about how you can raise your raise your hand. Um, if you click the participants, you can see the button on the bottom that says raise hands. Thanks for that. Sarah asks, are there any teachings that come to mind on how to help a friend's soul after taking their own life? Just as a, as a, as a response to that, I mean, one response to that Sarah would be to think that um, in that tragic situation, which is now not so uncommon, um, where the intensity of the crisis in humanity is producing unusually high suicide rates, is to help to understand rather than seeking to help the soul, it's more from the perspective of soul to understand the, the depth of it, of disillusionment um, and vulnerability that have led to that event. Um, and simply to know that the soul is the healer um, and to observe, to obs my thought would be to observe with love and to know that the soul will use the experience gained through that tragedy. It is a tragedy because the soul chose to come into a life with a purpose and with a mission and with experience to be gained. And it really is not, is the responsibility of the personality to accept that it's the soul that chooses the time of death, not the personality. But when without that understanding and when circumstances have led someone um, to that event, all we can do is observe with love and to support those who surround that person, to help them to love and support and to seek to understand the soul's purpose in this event.
one of the things about death, I think, is that there are no strict, clear answers or guidelines. And the beauty of death is that it, it forces us to really ponder the nature of the soul that in relative terms, as, as Michael said, is relatively immortal. It's like a, an aspect of our divinity. Um, and so we can seek, invite the understanding to come from the soul. And that's a gift that that person's given because it's led someone, it's led, it's led the person pondering to a deeper, to seek to understand with greater depth, to seek to understand, also to seek to explore the teachings, to find that whatever teaching is real and to try to find answers through one's teaching, if it's a real teaching. So I think we're coming up to, um, to five o'clock, um, to, I'm sorry, to seven o'clock. Um, so let's call it a, call it a day. And um, thank you all for being here. It's such an interesting subject, um, the nature of death. The, we're moving into on Saturday as the Triangles webinar reminds us today, earlier today, where we'll, Saturday is, we'll, is the um, equinox and it begins this, the movement into the three festivals, the three spiritual festivals, the high point of the year. Um, the Festival of Aries, the Easter festival occurs on uh, the full, the full meditation meeting will be on Sunday, March the 28th um, at 2 p.m. It's a Sunday meeting. So this is 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Don't forget new, um, US has switched to Daylight Time. 2 p.m. Usually weekend meetings are held at 3 p.m. But in this case, because the actual full moon will occur during the time of the of the meeting um, the meeting's being pushed forward so it'll be sunday march 28th at 2 p.m we look forward to seeing you then and the new moon meeting will be monday april 12th at 6 p.m the usual time moon charts and meeting information are all available lucistrust.org um, you just go to there's a there's a full moon on the menu at the top there's a full moon um item and you click on that and you'll find all the information you'll ever need. So thank you, friends. Thank you, Michael, for that very fine talk. And we stay safe and we will see you at the Full Moon Meditation Meeting on March 28th. Bye-bye. <laughs>